good to know God, isn't it? Oh, I'm telling you. What a, what a privilege to know the God of the universe. And, uh, all right. I just, chapter 4 of Ephesians. Um, I was really excited about the first three chapters, but I'm even more excited about the next three. Because the first three chapters of Ephesians shares a lot of foundation, doctrinally, that's very important. But when we get to chapter 4 is where we really get practical. It's where we really get down to what I call the, the nitty-gritty of, of living out following Christ. And as we said at the very beginning of this study, the book of Romans is a book that defines what a life that God, or that a life that is surrendered to God and that is allowing God to define it, that's the book of Romans. If, if, if a person was to surrender their life to God and let God define their life, Romans is what that's all about. Ephesians is a book that says if a church, a corporate body of believers in Jesus Christ, if we surrender ourselves to God, and let God do what He wants to do in the local church, what would that church look like? That's what the book of Ephesians is all about. And what we're going to learn tonight is, above everything else, God's heart is that the church be a place where every individual who comes and makes up the church, because we are the church, not the building, is that we would strive for spiritual maturity, that we would strive to grow in our relationship with Christ. Because salvation to God is just the beginning of this wonderful relationship I have with God. And God wants me to grow and mature in that relationship, to grow up to be the, all that God created me to be in Him. Not just physically, but spiritually. And so tonight, as we examine, I don't know how far we're going to get, I never know how far we're going to get, but we're going to travel through Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at what Paul shares with the Ephesians are marks of spiritual maturity. Or maybe another way to look at it would be, as I'm traveling down the road becoming more and more like Christ, what are the road markers? Or what are the signs that, that's showing up as I move down that road. And hopefully, when we get to the end tonight, that you're going to be encouraged because you will have seen these things in your own life and hopefully these things are continually increasing and becoming more a part of our lives as Christians. And hopefully we all also will be challenged tonight because none of us have arrived. We all still could become more like Christ in many different ways. And so hopefully it's a little bit of both. A little bit of, wow, I'm encouraged because I'm on the right road and I'm headed down the right path and I just need to stay on that path and continue to, to grow. And also to realize that and there's still more ahead for me to experience with God, which is cool as well. Now, unlike a lot of weeks where I just sort of dive into it and begin to dissect it, tonight I want to do something a little bit different. 
I'm just going to read, beginning in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 1, down through verse 13. And then go back and pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1, and begin to share what the Spirit gave me as far as marks of spiritual maturity. But I want us tonight, to begin with, to sort of get the flow of where Paul is coming from here as he begins sort of this second section of the book of Ephesians. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he captured captives. He gave gifts to men. Now what is the meaning of he ascended except that he also descended to the lower regions, namely the earth? He, the very one who descended, is also the one who ascended above all the heavens in order to fill all things. It was he who gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. Now before we go back to verse 1, I want to point out that word mature in verse 13. That's really the key word of the entire chapter. Because that's what Paul is building to throughout this chapter. That that's the goal, attaining spiritual maturity. This word in the original language means an end, a purpose, an aim, a goal. It's what I, as a Christian, as part of the church, should be aiming for. That I want to grow and become spiritually mature. And in my mind, growth is a matter of knowledge plus obedience, plus time. In my life, that's what it's reduced to. That if I look at my own spiritual growth, it's knowledge, but it's not knowledge alone. It's knowledge that leads to obedience, plus time. In fact, it's a progression. It's a whole lifetime of becoming all that God created me to be, reaching always forward to that maturity, as he says there in verse 13. A mature person. That's the end. That's the goal. That's why I guess I'm so passionate as a Bible teacher about making sure that, that Christians, especially those who just come to Christ, realize, now, now you realize that it's great that you accepted Christ as your Savior and your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven and we rejoice and we celebrate with you, but that's just the beginning God has a whole wonderful life ahead of you, an abundant life that goes much even higher than just 
where you are right now. It's that maturity. And that's why I think I have such a passion to teach the Bible. Because I believe that probably the, the primary way we all grow and mature in our faith is through the Bible and through our greater understanding of it and apprehension of it and application of it. And that's exactly what Paul's telling the Ephesians. He's saying, guys, if we're going to let God define the church, then we've all got to be striving towards maturity and growing up in our faith. God doesn't want to see Christians filling the church and yet never growing. That would grieve the heart of God. God wants to see us growing and maturing. So what are the marks of maturity? Back to chapter 4, verse 1. The first one is this. I think it's leading by example. Because notice, Paul says in verse 1, I therefore the prisoner for the Lord urge you to live a certain way. And Paul is basically reminding us that I'm not asking you, the Ephesians, to do something I'm not willing to do or living out myself. I'm, I'm a prisoner because of my faith in Christ. I'm a, I'm a prisoner of Rome because of my stand for the gospel. And therefore, what I'm urging you to do, I'm modeling for you. I'm not just telling you to do something and then not living it out myself. My life is evidence and testimony of what I'm trying to urge you to step up and be as well. And that's a real mark of maturity, that as we grow in Christ, it's not just about talking the talk, but as we say, walking the walk and allowing our life to be this great example in the church that other Christians who maybe aren't quite to where we are, can look ahead down the road a little bit and see us a little bit further down that road and say, okay, that's, that's what a follower of Christ who continues to go down that road, that's what they look like. That's, that's an example that I can follow. That's a good example because the Bible has so many warnings for us as Christians that we, we have to realize there's good examples and there's bad examples. And many times in the New Testament, Paul and Peter and others say, Folks, even in the church, beware. Just because someone claims to be a Christian, just because they go to church, just because they carry a Bible, doesn't necessarily mean they're a good example of what a Christ follower is all about. And so Paul here is leading by example. He is understanding the importance of being an example and allowing his life, in a sense, to do the talking for him. Because our life can sometimes speak so much more loudly and clearly to other people than any words that come out of our mouth. Because if the reality of Christ truly is in my life, it's going to change the way I live my life. And people are going to see that. And over time, the Bible says that's going to make a positive impression upon them. So the first mark of maturity is that we're leading by example. The second mark of maturity, that we are embracing God's purposes. And, and God's going to have different purposes at different times of our life. We go through different seasons of our life. God's going to call us to different purposes. But a mature Christian, a growing Christian, is going to learn that as I move through life, whatever God's purpose is for my life, I'm going to embrace it. 
Because because of my growth and maturity, I am beginning to understand and recognize and acknowledge God knows best. And God is only purposing this for my own good, for His glory, and for the good of others. And therefore, I'm going to embrace whatever purpose God has for me at that point. We see that in the phrase in verse 1, I therefore the prisoner for the Lord urge you to live this way. Paul says, right now, I'm a prisoner. And even though technically he's a prisoner, as we've talked about before, of Rome, because he's under house arrest in Rome, he doesn't look at himself as a prisoner of Rome. He looks at himself as a prisoner for the Lord. Because at this time in Paul's life, that's God's purpose for him. And we've already seen throughout our study of the book of Ephesians why Paul feels that way. Paul said... I'm being strengthened through this purpose. Uh, Other Christians are being strengthened and encouraged and emboldened through my witness. And they're more uh, bold to go out there and live for Christ and speak for Christ because, again, they, they see my example and they see how I'm embracing God's will, even though it means being in prison right now. And then Paul reminds us that there are people in prison, both guards and other prisoners, who are hearing about Jesus Christ and the good news of how much Jesus Christ loves them that may not have heard had Paul not been in prison. So Paul embraces being in prison because he sees that even if at that even that moment he doesn't understand all the purposes of why God has him going through that, He's gotten to a point because of his spiritual growth and because of his maturity that one of the marks of maturity is I'm going to embrace God's purposes at this time in my life because I know God has a purpose for it. Because one of the things we learn as a growing, maturing Christian is there is nothing purposeless. Everything is significant in my life. And I learn that more and more and I understand that more and more and I embrace that more and more as I grow and as I become this mature person that God wants me to become. You see, an immature Christian is going to be put in different circumstances and for a while until they grow, just like a baby physically, it's all about them. And, you know, we all know if we've had babies or whatever, been around them, that that babies think the whole universe revolves around them. And when they're hungry, everybody needs to jump. And when they're cranky, you know, and, and, you know, when it's bedtime, it's all about them. And they're the center of the universe. And it's all self. And that's okay when you're a baby. Okay? But just like physically, that would be pretty sad if a 25, 30, 50-year-old person was still acting that way. You see? That we should grow past some of the attitudes that we have when we were children uh, as we become adults and we mature. And the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. That it's okay, God loves baby Christians and we love baby Christians and all of us at one time were baby Christians. All God is saying is, don't stay a baby Christian, but grow up into spiritual adulthood, if you will. And these are the marks of spiritual adulthood. Then notice also in verse 1 the next mark, and that is to live worthily 
of the calling with which you have been called. And we've been called, or the word calling simply means an invitation. And God has invited us to live here. In fact, Paul says in the book of Philippians, he calls it a heavenly calling. He wants us to live on this plane rather than groveling down here, in a sense. And so here's my calling. Here's what God is inviting me up to. And Paul is simply saying that as I grow and as I mature in the Lord, hopefully my commitment to Christ is going to correspond to my calling. That, that I'm going to live worthily of that calling. Now Paul's here not saying that I make myself worthy to be acceptable to God. We know the Bible doesn't teach that. We can't make ourselves acceptable to God. That's the whole message of the gospel. It's by grace we're saved, through faith. It's not of works. We can't work our way to heaven. We can't do enough good deeds and good things in order to merit God's acceptance of us. We simply have to accept the free gift of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And once we do that, then we have that relationship with God. Now what Paul's simply saying is now because I have that relationship with God and God has called me as one of his children to grow and mature and live on this plane, then I should. I should live worthily of the calling to which I have been called. And, and if I could just maybe even make this, I don't know, more practical. And I apologize for those of you that maybe aren't into sports. I, I am, and so a lot of times I use sports illustrations. Um, Here's the way I look at what Paul's trying to say. As I've followed sports pretty much all my life since I was a child, one of the things that you learn is that certain teams, certain organizations sort of have a, an aura to them. They have a tradition of winning. Uh, they've won a lot of championships. And they're managed pretty well. And so a player, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, it doesn't matter, they could be playing on a team that's a perpetual loser. They don't have a very good organization. They have a history of losing. And they get traded from this team of losers to a team that has a reputation of being a winner. And what you see many, many times, not all the time, but many times, is here's a guy who, let's just take baseball because it's coming. He may be batted 200 with the loser team. And all of a sudden he gets traded to the team that has this tradition of winning. And he puts on the uniform. And it's almost like when he puts on this uniform, he becomes a different player. Because it's almost like when he enters that city and he enters the clubhouse and he puts on that uniform that has such a tradition to it, it's almost like i got to raise my game. i got to live worthy of this uniform, because I start thinking about all the people who've worn this uniform, and, and I've got to raise the standard. That's really what Paul's saying here. He's saying, Christian, think about all the, the saints of God down through history who put on the uniform, the Christian uniform, Moses and Abraham and Ruth and Esther and Joseph and Mary and Daniel and, and Paul, and, and you begin to think, wow. I'm putting on the same uniform every day that they put on. 
and look at the rich history of our Christian faith and look at all the martyrs down through history who died, who gave up their very life because of their faith in Christ. Wow! And I'm on the same team and I put on that same uniform every day. Therefore, I should wear it worthily because what a tradition. What a what a winning team to be on. And we are on the winning team because Jesus Christ has won the victory. And therefore, when I get up every day, I should walk out of my house saying, I'm going to live worthy today of the calling that God has given me because I'm one of the children of the King. I'm a son and daughter of God. And, and, and look down through history at all the men and women and young people who put on this uniform and wore it proudly. I, I don't want to do any less. I, I want to live worthy. I, I want to live up to the calling that God has given me. So that's how that sort of makes sense for me. I almost envision myself every morning getting up, getting ready, and in a sense, before I walk out the door of my house, I put on the Christian uniform. And as I go out into the world, as I walk around people and stuff, I've got to be willing to live worthy of the calling of that uniform that God so graciously gave me through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's one of the marks of maturity, that I just become more and more aware of that each and every day. And even in each and every situation and encounter that I come across, I've got to realize, wait a minute, I'm wearing the uniform of Christ. I'm on His team. I'm, I'm following in the footsteps of the great saints of all time. I've got to step up and handle this situation well in order to bring honor to Christ and honor to all those who wore the uniform before me. And that's exactly what Paul means when he says... I, therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. Next, the fourth mark of maturity is that I may have an attitude towards others that is Christ-like. And the question I ask myself is, is my attitude towards others a Christ-like attitude? Notice what he says in verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's a mark of spiritual maturity. How I relate to others, especially my fellow believers, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Am I displaying humility? And can I just say a good definition of humility is not putting myself down, it's lifting others up. That's what real humility is. It's not putting myself down. That's not humility. Not self-deprecation. That's not humility. Humility is really living in such a way that I'm lifting others up. And I'm gentle, meaning I'm just reasonable. That's what the word really is. I'm just a reasonable person. I mean, let's face it. We live in a world, you may work with them. You may live in a neighborhood with people who are very un reasonable. You can't reason with them. We have family members like that. It can be very frustrating. If, if we're displaying a Christ-like attitude to others, though, 
We're going to be reasonable, not unreasonable. We're going to be patient. The word is a word that's used in the original language speaking about the way we relate to each other. And it literally means long-fused. And I'm sorry, the only thing I can think of is when I was growing up, I always watched the Roadrunner and the Coyote. Sorry. And of course, the coyote was always trying to kill the roadrunner. And, and the picture that I have in my mind is you always buy those Acme dynamite and bombs and stuff. And they would have a, like a fuse like 10 miles long so that by the time the fuse would have finally got there and destroyed the roadrunner, it always blew him up or something. And yet I got that picture in my mind because as I think about a long fuse, that's what I go back to, the coyote and the roadrunner. And God wants me to have a long fuse with other people. That's what God wants. That's what the word patient means. Bearing with one another. We would use the word forbearance. And then obviously the most important because it sort of covers. It's the umbrella of everything. Love. And the word here in the original is agape love. A God-like love. Supernatural love. And I can't love that way. But I can if I allow the Holy Spirit to take control of my life and love through me. And that's a mark of spiritual maturity. That's why when people read like teachings of Jesus and Jesus says, love your enemies, there's even a lot of Christians that go, I can't do that. And I'm like, you're right, we can't do that. The only way we can love our enemies and love as God loves is to let God love through us and let his love throw, flow out from us. That's the way we love. So the fourth mark of spiritual maturity is, is our attitude towards others Christ-like. And I, hey, I realize as we go through these, all of us could say, well, not today, <laughs> you know, or yeah, it's, we're not always, always going to have these things operating in our life. But what Paul is trying to encourage the Ephesians is, but this is what we go after. This is the goal. This is the aim. This is the purpose. This is the end that we're shooting for. Is that more and more and more our life is going to reflect these things. And if we let God define the church, the church is going to be filled up with folks who begin to look like that. And that's exactly what God wants. The fifth one, making every effort to keep the unity. Verse 3. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A couple things. Notice he doesn't expect Christians in a church to create the unity. Because notice, the unity has already been given by the Spirit of God. So it's not our responsibility as a church to somehow create unity with us as Christians. We can't do that. Only the Spirit of God can bring that unity to a body that's so diverse like the church is. But what we can do as a Christian is I can help destroy that unity that the Spirit of God has created. And if any of you, like me, have been part of church all our lives, we've been in churches or we've spoken churches or we've visited churches where at one time there was this great unity and where the people of that church came together and truly loved each other and worked toward a common goal and purpose and end. 
But there, something happened and they began to be very divisive and fight amongst each other. And all of a sudden the church began to splinter and crack and divide. And it was nothing like God intended for it to be. Because a growing, mature Christian is going to do everything. In fact, notice the first couple of words of verse 3. Make every effort. The Greek word is spudadzo. It, it means a diligence, an intense focus. It's like, it's, it's one of the first things I think about that I'm part of the church is that I've got to do everything I can do within my power to keep the unity that the Spirit of God has created here. And not to bring divisiveness and division to the body of Christ. A spiritually mature Christian will have that as a real goal of their life. To keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And here's why that's so important. I think I've mentioned this before. The Spirit of God needs a proper environment to work in. And that's why, like, you can walk into some churches and you just don't feel the Spirit. And you can walk into other churches and it's like you can sense that God is there. The Spirit of God is there. Just, you can just sense it. Why is He in some churches and not in others? Well, one of the reasons may be that if, if that church has a history of division and fighting and strife and all that, the Spirit of, of God has backed off. Because the Spirit of God needs a proper environment in order to work. And the Bible teaches in the book of James that righteousness is sown in peace by the Spirit of God. In other words, where the Holy Spirit sees it for the most part, and again, it's never going to be a perfect environment, but for the most part, there's a peace there amongst God's people. The Spirit of God will be working. Because it's sort of like the proper soil, if you will, for the farmer to do their farming. But if there's a bunch of fighting going on, the Spirit of God is grieved and will back off until that is settled and people begin to reconcile with one another. And that's exactly why maintaining the unity of the Spirit is so important because we don't want to do anything as a body of believers to grieve the Holy Spirit and in a, in a sense to quench Him and keep Him from working and continuing to manifest Himself in such a real way in our presence. We want to come to a church where we see God working in people's lives and where we see the Holy Spirit gripping people's hearts and changing people's minds and turning lives upside down and transforming people. That's what we want to be a part of. And so that's why it's so important that we as Christians all strive to maintain that unity. And that's a mark of spiritual maturity. Notice also then, beginning in verse 4, he says, but here's something we all need to remember as mature growing Christians. Unity is important, but it's not unity at any cost or any price. Because our unity has to be based on truth. And so therefore also, one of the marks of maturity is that I'm focusing on the truth, which is the foundation for our unity. And that's why he took time in three verses of Ephesians chapter 4 to go over these these basics, the, the foundational beliefs of our Christian faith that, that unifies all of us. Notice, there's one body. And we've talked about that through the book of Ephesians. 
There wasn't one body for Gentiles and one body for Jews. But we've learned through the book of Ephesians that God brought Jew and Gentile, slave and free. It didn't matter. He brought us all into one body. And now that one body is manifested now on earth in many different locations called local churches. But we also have to remember that there's not only local expressions of the church, but in a sense, all true believers in Jesus Christ all over this world are also united in one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And I'm just going to say this. I also believe it's very important that when we grow and we mature, that we learn as Christians to focus on the majors, the major things that unite us, rather than the minor things that may divide us. Too many churches, too many Christians, get caught up on what I believe are very minor issues. And they allow those minor things to divide them. Like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you swallow a camel and you strain at a gnat. The, the thing that should be big, the camel, you disregard. The thing that really isn't that big of a deal, the gnat, you make a big deal about. And we all know, having been in churches, maybe and maybe not, maybe this is a new experience for you, that, that one of the things we struggle with, because again, we're all at different levels of our growth and maturity and whatever, that some Christians just say, hey, that gnat, shouldn't we all be focused on that gnat? And we have to lovingly, but very firmly say, no, I think we should be focused on the camel. That's the bigger issue, not, not the gnat. And as we grow and we mature, we learn what are truly the big issues that we should be focused on and united from, and what are those minor things that we really shouldn't allow to become divisive, if you will. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 7, the next mark of maturity is... But to each one of us, he says, and here's the mark, that we champion unity, as we've said, but not uniformity, and that we celebrate diversity. Because what he's going to begin to talk about is, yes, we're all unified, and we've talked about the importance of unity, but the body is made up of each one of us. And each one of us, as we're going to learn, doesn't have the same gifts, abilities, talents, and all of that. And so there's still diversity within the body. And God loves that. God celebrates diversity. But again, where some churches and bodies of believers go wrong, they think that unity means uniformity. And so when you walk into that church or you walk into that body of believers and you try to join yourself to them, one of the first things they're going to do is they're going to begin to try to put you into their mold. And you're going to have to dress like them. You're going to have to smell like them. 
You're going to have to carry the same kind of Bible that they do. In other words, they're going to say, here's what it's all about. And you need to look like us, smell like us, and everything. And we all need to be sort of stamped out like cookie-cutter Christians. And we're sort of like on this assembly line. And everybody who comes to this church has to look exactly identical. And there are churches like that. All over. Trust me, I'm from back east, and there's plenty of them in Maryland, New York, Virginia, Pennsylvania. And there's plenty here, too. They try to make everybody stamped out just like everybody else. That's not the way Jesus wants to define the church. He wants us all to be unified, yes, but not uniform. There's a total difference between unity and uniformity. God wants us to be diverse, to be ourselves to relax with how He made us and with the gifts and abilities and talents that He gave us and to relax with that. I guess this probably isn't the best example, but I'll just use myself as an example. One of the things God taught me very early on is, Jeff, you've got to relax with how I made you and how you teach. And you can't try to teach like other people and you can't look at them and go, I wish I taught like them. You've got to come to a point in your life where you accept how I wired you, how I made you, the gifts and abilities and talents that I gave you, and just use them and not try to compare yourself all the time to other people. Just relax with who you are and how God made you and use those things for my glory. And that's why, you know, I I don't try to teach like another pastor or another teacher. I just try to be Jeff. And you need to try to do the same thing if you're not already doing it. It's just relax with who God made you, how He made you, how He wired you, and whatever gifts, talents, and abilities He's given you, use them. And it's so cool to come to a church like this where if you have, you know, talents in worship or, or the arts of, you know, drama even, like we're doing with pirates, or, you know, you've got gifts in teaching and, and administration and all that, use them and just be yourself. That's what God, and that's why Paul says to the Ephesians in verse 7, to each one of us. And it's not the same for every one of us, because God treats us, thank God, as individuals. And God isn't trying to stamp out Christians so that every Christian is like Jeff. First of all, that'd be disastrous, okay? But God also doesn't want every Christian to be like you either. Be yourself. Within the body of Christ, we can all be unified because there's plenty of stuff, the big stuff, that we can come to the table and agree on. And the stuff that we really shouldn't focus on that shouldn't be that important, we can agree to disagree and agree to disagree agreeably like the attitude of Christ with all humility and reasonableness and patience and be yourself I'll just say this I have found and I've now almost been a pastor for 25 years the Christians who thrive as a Christian are the Christians who've just learned to relax with who they are and to be themselves now again always growing and always maturing but just being themselves, and being free to be who God made you. It's okay. Instead of trying to be somebody else, or here's even worse, trying to be what somebody else wants you to be. Again, that uniformity. You stand your ground. 
You stand firm. You let God alone define who you are. And don't let anybody else do that. Because trust me, there's a lot of people outside the church and inside the church who are trying to make us all a certain way. Because that makes them comfortable. God wants you to be you. All right, I've hammered that enough. Let's go on. Next mark of maturity. Receiving God's enabling, empowering grace. Because notice in verse 7, he says, To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And that's so important because we talk about grace in, in response to salvation. When we come to Christ, again, by grace we're saved, and we define that as God's unmerited favor towards us. We don't deserve it, but God gives it to us. And that's fair. That's, that's an accurate definition. But there's other definitions of grace that goes beyond just God's unmerited favor to those of us who don't deserve it. And that is that God's grace can also be defined as his enabling, empowering power. And we've talked a lot about that throughout the book of Ephesians. That God wants us to understand the power that he gives us to live the Christian life and to be ourselves within his framework. And to use our gifts and abilities and talents and never have to realize that I've got to do it myself. It would be so discouraging and depressing. depressing. And can I just say, I, I probably wouldn't do it, honestly, if I felt that I had to teach my Bible studies on my own without God. Why would I do that? But knowing that God's going to be with me and that God's going to be behind me and God's in me and he's empowering me and enabling me. Yeah, I'll get up and do that because I know I'm not doing it and I'm certainly not doing it on my own. And that's true for every one of us as a Christian. That's why he says in verse 7, Ephesian Christians, don't forget that when you're called to serve and minister and use your gifts and abilities and talents and just be yourself within the framework of the church, God's behind you. His grace is flowing through our lives constantly and continually, enabling us and empowering us to live as He would have us to live. And that should be very, very encouraging. So tap into that grace. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Wow. Well, if Paul could say that, how much more could you and I say the same thing? By His grace, we live, we move, we serve, we minister. Let me see. I'll take one more. I'm not going to get into all this tonight. I'm going to invite you back next Tuesday. Because beginning in verse 8, he starts talking about Jesus ascending and descending and all that. I almost feel like I'm on an elevator and I'm going up, I'm going down, I'm going up and I'm going down. And we're, we're going to get to what Paul means by that. But I want to zero in on something he says in verse 8, another mark of maturity. And I I think this is a good one to end with. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he captured captives, he gave gifts to men. Now, for those of us in this culture, that, that probably isn't a very good picture. But for the people in Paul's day, for the Ephesians, they knew exactly what Paul meant. Because anyone who went out to conquer, and say conquered a a town, a city, a people group, 
they would do two things. They would bring a representative group of the people that they conquered and they would be followed behind them while the conqueror was on his horse strolling through the city and the captives, those that had been captured, were behind them as sort of a sign of the power and the glory of the victory that was won. But another thing a conqueror always did is he always shared the spoils of the conflict, of the war. And you see both of these in the verse. That Christ not only captured the captives, but He gave gifts to men as part of His victory. And simply what Paul here is describing for us is the victory that Jesus Christ won when He died on the cross, was buried, and rose from the dead. And the Bible simply then is telling us that a mark of spiritual maturity is that you and I as Christians would live in the victory that Christ has already won. As I've said before, that as a Christian, I do not in my life fight for victory. I fight from victory. Jesus Christ has already won the victory. He has already disarmed all the powers against me that oppose me. He's captured the captives. He has broken the power of sin in my life. Therefore, what Paul is simply reminding the Ephesians and reminding us of is this. Any power or any person that I give a power to in my life that is opposing my walk with God, I have to come to understand I'm giving them that power. I'm relinquishing that power to them. They don't have that power over me because Jesus Christ has captured the captives. He has set us free from everything that opposes us as a Christian. Therefore, if something has got a hold on me that is opposing my walk with God, or somebody in my life I've given a power to that is opposing my walk with God, I've got to come to the realization that I've handed them that power. I've given them that power. But they don't have that power over me. I've just gotten to a point in my life where I let them have that power over me. And a growing, maturing Christian is going to keep discovering and finding out that I've got to take that power back in the power of Christ. And I shouldn't give anyone or any other thing power over me other than Jesus Christ Himself. He's the only Lord of my life. He's the only Master of my life. And there should be nothing else that I give power to over me other than Him. And if I'm allowing something to rule my life other than Jesus Christ, I also can be encouraged to know that I can come back to passages like Ephesians chapter 4 and realize, but He broke that power. He captured the captives. He broke every power against me so that I can live free. And I can live for His glory. And I can go after maturity. And I can grow as a Christian. And anything in my life that comes up against me to oppose me or be an obstacle in my life with Christ, I can banish. 
Because there is nothing in this world, in this universe, greater than the power of Jesus Christ. And if He has set me free, then the Bible says I'm free indeed. And if I'm living in a life of bondage as a Christian, it's because I've given that thing or that person that power over me. And by Christ and through Christ, I need to take it back. And I need to allow Jesus to be the ruler instead of that thing or that person having that kind of power over me. Don't give anyone or anything that power. Let Jesus rule. That's what Paul's saying. He captured captives. He gave gifts to men. One other thing. Some of you have questions certainly come up. and We can chat for a few minutes after Bible study tonight. I'm going to end with this too because it's referenced here and we'll pick it up here next week. Something else I want you all to leave with tonight. The Bible teaches that you not only have gifts, and we're going to talk more about that next week, but you and I have to come to also understand as a growing Christian, one of the things God wants us to know is you are a gift. We don't just possess gifts, you know, talents, abilities, spiritual gifts. You are a gift from Jesus to his church. And it's not just about what you do. It's just about being you. And again, that's part of learning to just relax with who you are. And that you have to realize, I'm a part of the body of Christ. I'm putting on the uniform of the Christian. And bless God, He values me enough to put me in that body. And just being me is a gift to the church. You see, in the world and culture that we live in, a lot of times the only value that we get from other people is because of what we do for them. Sad to say. It's like, I'll just pick out an occupation like a doctor. You know, it's like the only time we give them kudos is we're sick, we're not feeling good. Doc, I, I need you to make me feel better. You know, oh, I appreciate what you do. And you do something for me to make me feel good. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But God goes a step further. God says, I not only value you and appreciate you for what I've given you and the gifts and abilities and talents that you have that you can use to bless others and encourage others, but I want you to know that you're just a gift being who you are. And it's not a matter of your value is linked to what you do. Because that's the way just the world thinks. That they place different values on different human beings based upon what we do. What our position is, how much we help others, and all that. Yeah, you're valuable because you're, you got this occupation. Uh, you're not as valuable because you do this. And it's all based on what we do. Isn't it nice that we know a God who's the most important? And that we have a God, we love a God, and that God loves us. Not because we always have to have that performance mentality. That I've got to perform to a certain level and I've got to do certain things in order to be of value. That God says, for me, you're of value to me if you never do anything. 
And that's the way we should be in the church as well with one another. That we should value each other beyond just what we do for each other, which is good. But we should just be able to look at each other and in each other's eyes and say, I value you just because you're you. And if you never do anything for me, you're important. You're a value. You are a gift in my life and a gift to the church. So as you leave here tonight, I want you to all leave here remembering you're a gift. Not just because of what you do, but because of who you are. He captured captives. He gave gifts to men. And we're going to see next week those gifts were people. People just like you. People just like me. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for reminding us in this passage of Scripture that you want your church to be defined by people who are going after spiritual maturity, who are becoming that mature person, that that's the aim, that's the goal, that's the purpose, that's the end of our Christian life. That's what we're shooting for. And then very practically, you have broken down for us in this passage many marks that as we travel along that road towards spiritual maturity, we can begin to have some road markers in our life to, to sort of measure ourselves by. And we realize, God, that you know, we're never going to do all this perfectly. But it is sort of encouraging to see how you're working in our life and bringing a lot of these things about and how we're making progress in areas that maybe before we weren't making progress in. And God, that's what it's all about. It's just about a lifetime of progress and moving forward with you. The goal is that Jeff Royce would be a little bit more like Jesus Christ today than yesterday, this week than last week, this month than last month, this year than last year. And that's the goal you have for every one of us, Lord. And I pray that you would just continue to raise up right here in Cornerstone Christian Fellowship a growing group of people who are saying, growing is important to me. Spiritual maturity is what I'm going after. And I'm not satisfied just knowing Christ as my Savior and having my sins forgiven and on my way to heaven. I know there's so much more in this life for me that God wants me to experience. And there's so much more that God wants me to experience that I'm going after it. I'm, gonna, I'm going after it all. And I'm not going to stop until Jesus comes or until I close my eyes in death. I'm going after it. God, continue to raise up. A group of people here like that, with that kind of mentality, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.